um, in Galatians chapter 1, the book of Galatians is going to be, it, it'll be a good study for us because it's all about the gospel and it's all about fighting for the gospel. Uh, woo, yeah. Thank you, Valerie. Uh, uh, the whole point of the book of Galatians is there are false teachers that have crept into the churches of Galatia are the ones Antioch, Lystra, Dur- I mean, these are all churches that Paul founded. And so... Uh, the churches in in Galatia, he's writing to them. And the problem was that as soon as he founded the churches and uh, he moved on from his missionary journey, uh, right after he left, people came into the church and uh, they started teaching uh, doctrines that weren't in accordance with what the gospel is. They're called Judaizers. Can y'all remember that? Judaizer, so I don't have to write it on the board. That's what they were called. And what they what they wanted to do was they were not here's the here's the thing that you need to make sure you understand. They were not saying that Jesus is not the Messiah. They were not saying that the gospel isn't the way of salvation and that God hadn't sent his son into the earth. They weren't saying any of that. The only thing that they desired, the only thing that's addressed specifically in Galatians, let me put it that way, is that they believe that Paul did not go far enough with his gospel and that in order for a believer to walk after Christ and to follow after God and to be right with God, he had to accept Jesus and be circumcised. Okay, that's what we're going to see that over and over again in the book of Galatians. Uh, Basically, they said you had to accept Jesus, accept the gospel, and you had to go through this ritual of the law of Moses. And that's what Paul's problem is. He goes through the whole book and he's saying, no, sir, the only thing that people need to be saved, the only thing is Jesus. Uh, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to go through any ritual. You don't have to add any works. In fact, he says, if you do add anything to this gospel, if you add anything of your own work or your own merit, you have destroyed the gospel. And so that's what he's gonna. That's what he's gonna see. But the the main thing that we need to see was that these folks were not walking in the back door, going, "Paul's wrong. Jesus is wrong. There's no. This is not true." They were not doing that. These people called themselves Christians. These people called themselves believers in Christ. They called themselves faithful to the church. The only thing they did was they were adding some of the laws of Moses to. Paul's gospel. They called. They were attacking Paul's um, apostleship, saying he was a second-hand apostle. He didn't really walk with Jesus like the real apostles did. He he he's come later. He got his gospel from somebody else, and so he, he he's right in as far as he goes, but he just doesn't go far enough. He doesn't add what we really need to walk in Christ to to be righteous with God. He he's right as far as he goes. He just doesn't go far enough. And they called him a man pleaser. They said that he was changing the truth of God because 
this whole Jewish law thing was too hard for people to keep. So he was just dumping that so men would be, uh, you know, it would be easier for men to come to the gospel. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? You're going to need all this background. Okay? So they were attacking the gospel by adding some of the works of the laws of Moses to it. They were attacking Paul's apostleship by saying that he wasn't actually an apostle like Peter and John, those people who walked with Jesus. And they were calling him a man-pleaser, saying that he was preaching to uh, satisfy men rather than satisfy God. That's why he was leaving the law off. And so, yes, y'all both had a question. Is it the same question? Okay. Were they around during? I mean, I yeah. Well, what 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 was going on at this point in time? <laughs> was the same question? I was going to ask you how far proximity is Galatia to? Galatia is right around where Turkey is today. It's right in there, Asia Minor, right in there. Well, I mean, you know where Turkey is, don't you? Well, I can't draw a map. <laughs> oh, I don't know the like the actual. Is it a long ways away? Oh, it's not too long. Paul walked there. Okay, that's okay, what I'm so asking. They're just popping up, trying to tell everybody something that they haven't even been around. Well, they were probably. Um, you got to remember, at this time, almost all of the church was Jewish. You know, and so. All the church was Jewish because that was the only one. It wasn't until Stephen got stoned, not like the good way, but like was you know got stoned to death, that people were scattered and they started going to the Samaritans and and then later to the Gentiles. And so, uh, I don't think so. I don't think they talked to him about it because he had left. Was he was in this letter? This is going to be some of the harshest language that you will hear in the New Testament. I mean, he really throws the gauntlet down to these folks uh, that are changing the gospel. And if they would have been teaching this or trying to teach this while he was there, he would have addressed it. And he did address it in some fashion with Peter when he was there with them. Uh, but what happened was when he left, they were coming in and maybe they were rising up from among the people that were there in Galatia. Maybe they were coming from other areas. I mean, it doesn't really say. But what they were doing was bringing this idea of keeping the law of Moses as a need for uh, salvation. What they were doing was bringing that back into the church. And that's what Paul was arguing against. Does that make sense? And you see, and we'll see in chapter 2, that even folks like Peter did it. You know, Peter didn't have any malicious forethought like, ooh, I'm going to go to see you. He was just falling back on the tradition that he's always known. You know, he wanted to eat with the Jews rather than Gentiles. And Paul came and confronted him. So we'll see that um, there's... It just had to do with the traditions that they were raised with, you know what I mean? But Paul uses some of the strongest language, and he condemns the people that are doing it. Make sense? Does that answer your question? Somewhat? All right. It's only six chapters. The first two is Paul defending himself, his gospel. The third and fourth chapter are Paul proving his gospel. And the fifth and sixth chapter are Paul telling us how to live in the true gospel. And so 
verses 1 through 10 is all we're going to do today. And that's pretty much a summary of everything that we're going to find in the book. Uh, He says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Why do you think he says, first thing, I'm an apostle, but I'm not an apostle made by men? Because he wanted them to know where he stood. That's right. He wanted them to know they were saying that Paul was like a second-hand apostle. Like he got his gospel from another guy who got his gospel from another guy. You know, And Paul wanted them to know that no man made me an apostle. I was made an apostle by Jesus Christ. Now, how, how far was this from the crucifixion? When this was written... Um, I'm not sure, but it had to have been... uh, Paul died in the mid-50s. So it had to have been 40, 50, 45, 50. So maybe 15 years, 20 years. And that's just off the top of my head. I may be a little off about that. I'll have to check into it. But the epistles of Paul are some of the first letters written in the New Testament. So I think James was written first. Then you got three or four epistles of Paul... And the Gospels came a little later. So, although they're not found first in the New Testament, they were written first. So, they're pretty early, pretty early, 20, 25 years maybe. So, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and the brethren which are, are with me unto the churches of Galatia. He was writing to more than one church. There were several churches in this area, all of which Paul started. See that? That's something you ought to make sure that you log that in too. Paul's not talking to these churches like, hey guys, I'm Paul. Welcome to... Paul actually started these churches on his first missionary journey when he went up through Galatia and that whole territory. So Paul started these churches and he was telling them, you know, that I'm I'm not a secondhand apostle. I'm not somebody that has... Uh, got my gospel from so-and-so who got my gospel from so-and-so. I am uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I was made an apostle by Jesus Christ. When did Jesus Christ make Paul an apostle? On the road to Damascus. That's right. He sure did. He appeared to Paul and he he said, I'm going to turn you into a servant. Somebody read for me Acts 26, verse 15 through 18. And read it loud enough where we can all hear Acts 26, 15 through 18. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Who wait, wait, wait. Paul is recounting his testimony of the road to Damascus. Now, sorry. He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by the faith that is in me. Right. So Paul was, he right there he's given, he's given the king a, a recount of what happened to him on the Damascus road. And he tells more fully what Jesus told him. He said, look, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. I'm commissioning you as an apostle. Uh, you're going to go and you're going to tell them the things that you've seen. And you're going to go and you're going to tell them the things that I'm going to show you still. 
And so Paul was made an apostle by Jesus Christ. He was, he was making sure that they knew this in Galatia because the things he's going to say, he's basically going to say that everybody who disagrees with me is cursed. He's going to say everybody who is preaching a different gospel than the one that I preached, the one that you received from me, the one by which your church was started, he said, they're going to be accursed. And so what he's, what he's showing here by saying, you know, I'm an apostle sent by Jesus Christ, not by man, is that to reject the gospel that Paul preaches, the gospel that's written about in these letters, the gospel that the Galatian churches was founded on was to reject God. Um, the Judaizers were people that were opposing the church. They were denying the gospel by adding their own works to it. And Paul could not and would not let that go. They were saying that, well, you know, Paul, he, he's kind of a Johnny-come-lately. He really doesn't know everything that we know. And Paul was letting them know real quick, hey, I was commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, I am truly an apostle and I am one that is speaks for Christ as an ambassador for him. Uh, interesting, you may, you may run into people that talk about other apostles and the word apostle, this is just, if this doesn't appeal to you, just log it as stuff I'll never need to know. The word apostle can mean one who is sent or it can mean an actual office of apostle. You see, um, in, uh, in the New Testament, it started to become known. It started to become used as an actual office of, you know, an apostle. This is an apostle. Uh, but the word actually just means one who is sent. So you'll see some other, other times you'll see Timothy, whom I've sent, or Timothy and Barnabas, an apostle or whatever. Uh, a lot of times those just means one who is sent from the church. But the office of apostle from Jesus Christ is only, there's only 12 of them, the 11 and Paul. Paul. Make sense? Alright, the next thing he does is presents his gospel. Verse 3, he says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, remember, what were the Judaizers saying? What was their main argument? That he didn't present the full gospel. Right, that he didn't present the full gospel, but what was the full gospel for them? For them was to accept Jesus Christ and to be circumcised. To accept Jesus Christ. In order to be saved, you have to accept Jesus Christ and you have to be circumcised. Or, you know, he's talking about the law of Moses. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. That is not correct. And so the first thing he does when he says, hey guys, I'm Paul, commissioned by Jesus Christ, is he presents his gospel. And his gospel is that uh, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave himself for our sins. And the reason he gave himself for our sins is that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. What he's saying is that Jesus gave himself... In order to pay for our sins. So the point he's making is we don't add the law of Moses. We don't add circumcision. We don't add our own works. We don't add our own designs. We don't add anything sinful that we could possibly produce to add to that gospel. Jesus Christ alone gave himself that we might be rescued from this present world. What does it mean to be rescued from this present world? I mean, I'm still here. We're still living here. It says evil world. Whatever. Does it say present evil world? It says present evil world. 
Well, what does it mean, Diana, to be rescued from this present evil world? Our daily walk in life, that's what we're tempted with. And then if we're saved, we're rescued from the condemnation of that evil. That's why I married her. (laughs) You still live among the evil, but you're rescued from the condemnation of the evil. So no longer is there any condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No longer is the... What he's saying is that the debt that you owe, you owe a debt for the sin that you've committed, but you also owe a debt because the sin of Adam was imputed to you. Uh, and so you owe, you owe debts that you can't pay. Therefore, Christ paid all those debts by dying on the cross. He you know, uh, gave Himself and freed us from the entire debt of that law, freed us from the entire debt of that sin. And so that was Paul's gospel. That was not the gospel that the Judaizers were preaching. That was, they were saying, you know what? Jesus is a good start. Jesus is where we need to be. We need to accept Him. We need to make sure we understand He's the Messiah. But if you want to truly be right with God and live after God, you're going to have to become circumcised, keep the laws and the rituals, the rights of Moses. Um, It was one tiny little thing. I can hear them. This is just me thinking out loud. I can hear them in my mind saying, come on, Paul, it's just one little thing. I mean, we we agree about 90%. It's just this one little aspect that we disagree about. We say that you got to be circumcised. You say that you don't. Can't we just all get along? And Paul's basically going to condemn them flat out. Said, no, we can't because you're adding to what Jesus did. He says, if you add any of your works, if you add any of any laws that you're going to keep, any works you're going to do, any righteousness of your own, you have destroyed the gospel and Christ has become no effect for you. He's going to say that later on in the book. Um, and you can't say that you've come, you can come to God other than through the gospel that Paul preaches. He said in verse, verse uh, 4, he said uh, that he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world. And it's according to the will of God and our Father that he's done this. You can't say, well, I'm going to, you know, this Jesus thing is all good and it's all great. But I'm going to, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to stick with the Father and he's, I'm just going to serve God and y'all take the Jesus thing and the gospel thing and you just whatever. You can't do that because it's God the Father who's provided His Son and it's the only way that you come, that's the only way that you come to Him through salvation, in salvation. Make sense? Now, this is a, listen, this, I know it seems like it's nitpicking a little, but this is a huge issue. I mean, it's huge. This is the greatest possible issue. It's more important than bad behavior. I want you to think about something. And Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, right? And Corinth was one of the most jacked up churches in the ancient world. I mean, there was, you know, dudes sleeping with their mother-in-law. And, you know, they were all after spiritual gifts. And they, I mean, Paul, content from, from the beginning of 1 Corinthians all the way to the end, he is chastising them. He's talking about things that they're doing wrong, behavior problems that they're having. But at the beginning of that letter and the beginning of all of Paul's letters, except this one, he thanks God for them. He says, I thank God for you in every remembrance of my prayers. And, you know, and different wording in different epistles. But in every single epistle, he always offers a prayer of thanksgiving for the people to whom he's writing. Except for this one. You see, it's... What? He didn't like them. 
Well, he was, I think he was angry. He was I think he was, if you read, I mean, it's probably not going to help you much, but even in, even in the original language, it's short and choppy. It's like he's writing it in, he's like, it's like he's writing it in uh, a very passionate state, let's say. You know, it's not real, it's not real wordsmithy, you know, it's real, it's like I sat down up his brainstormed and happens he was. Well, it's like he's he's very he's he's in a hurry to get it out and he's very upset about things that are going on. And notice even in the one of the worst churches in the New Testament, he still thanks God for them. I thank God for your whatever, the remembrance of my prayers and all that. But here, the first thing he says is not, you know, I thank my God for you, but I marvel that you are so soon removed from the God who called you. Um, and so, this is, <coughs> let me put it this way. He chastises and disciplines people for their behavior, often. But a, a behavior problem is something that we can discipline. When, you, when a person turns away from the gospel, that's something that discipline is not going to fix. That's something you've turned away from God. You've turned away from grace. You've turned away from the only source of salvation that there is. And so he's, I'm, sure he's, he, I'm sure he's angry that these people have come into the fellowship and are trying to distort what he said. I'm sure that he's passionate because he loves the people and he's wanting to protect them. Um, but he is very, very passionate about making sure they know that this is absolutely wrong. And he knew that they were going to read, they read these letters out loud in the early congregations. And he knew that the people he was talking about were going to be sitting in the congregation. So, I mean, he knew what kind of firestorm he was starting by sending this letter. He knew that it was going to cause a lot of commotion. Uh, so anyway, so just remember, it's just a tiny thing they want to add. He says, verse 6 says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. You know, it's a long time. I never really got, I mean, it just never really came clear to me. But he's saying, I marvel that, he's not saying that you are removed from the gospel. He's saying that you're removed from what? The grace. Not even the grace. <laughs> from him. Yeah, you're being removed from the one who calls you. What's he saying right there? When you depart from the gospel, what are you doing? You're turning your back. You're turning your back not just on the gospel, not just on grace. All those things are true. You're turning your back on God. You're being removed from the God of the Bible. You're being removed from the Scripture. Now, remember, were they walking into the were they walking into the church going, "Jesus ain't the way"? No, no. they were just adding. They were just adding some works to what Jesus did. But how do you make people in today's society, people that you know, how do you make them see that they're doing wrong? The best way is with a baseball bat. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. Yeah. Scott would look at me like, no, he did not just say that. Uh, no, you, you, really, you can't. I mean, it's a, it's a work of God in people's hearts. I mean, it's all we can do is present the truth, and God takes that truth. Turn away from it? Hey, I turned away from it for 27, 29, 29 years. But you weren't saved. That's what that's what I meant. I turned away from the truth for 
But I, but I think that's what's confusing is that is that what you were asking is how you saved people? Oh no, I think Paul's clear that they people that are if they deny the gospel of Christ, they're not saved. Yeah, I think that's what needs yeah. to be said. Oh yeah, I mean he basically says if anyone's saying this, they're cursed, and that curse that he's talking about is not. Um, it's not Paul cursing him. That's God cursing him. I think that's, that is the most profound verse in this 1 through 10. As he said, even though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, let them be a curse. Right. Right. And I'll get to that. Let me finish 7. And then he says it twice, actually. Yeah. Which is, verse 7 says, which is not another gospel, but be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Remember, they're just adding. I'm just adding one little thing. You know, I mean, if you're a dude, circumcision is not a little thing. It's a big thing. Especially, especially if you're grown. But, what kind of man dressed in weaning of that day? Huh? Well, they just had, the, I mean, it was different aspects of the law of Moses. It was a covenant sign, really. Uh, so, and if the men of the household did this, they right? Were it was. It was covered. basically. It was. If you would just, you know, you can accept Jesus all day long. You can trust in Jesus. You can live for Jesus. You can do all those things. That's fine. All we want you to do is add this covenant sign of the Old Testament to your profession, and that is all we want you to do. Just add this one little thing to your gospel. And we'll be, you know, we can get along just fine. Can't we all just get along together? And Paul, his his absolute answer is no, we cannot. Because by adding that one little thing, even as tiny as it is, you have destroyed the entire gospel. What does it say? Somebody read to me uh, Galatians 5.2, just that one verse. I just wrote it down. I didn't... Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised... Christ shall profit you nothing. He said, Behold, Paul, I, Paul, say to you, if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Does that mean all of us who've been circumcised are, are lost? No. I don't do it that, for that reason today. I know that. I know. That. We definitely, you want to have an awkward situation, you try to explain to a bunch of junior high kids what circumcision is. <laughs> uh, but the point he's making there is if you add this old covenant, if you add this old covenant sign, you add this word to the gospel of Christ, to what Christ has done, and you say that this is what makes you righteous, not only have you, you're not just adding a little element to the gospel and enhancing, you're destroying the gospel. He says, if you add one thing to what the gospel says, it says Christ shall profit you nothing. So what he's saying there is you're either going to accept Christ on the terms that he's given. You're going to accept the gospel on the terms that he's given or you're going to be lost because you're not going to have it. You can't say I'm going to take Jesus and add element one, two or three. And therefore, I'm just going to cover myself just in case. I remember an episode of Fred Sanford when he had he's getting on a plane. and He had a bunch of things. He had like a Buddhist thing and a Muslim thing and a cross. And and Lamont said, well, you got all them for. He said, just in case you never know. Which one you'll need up there at fifty thousand feet? You're not going to be able. You're not going to be able just to add different things and say, "Well, I'm just covered just in case." Because if you add one thing to the gospel, you destroy the whole gospel. It's gone. Christ will profit you nothing. Important that people understand the the temple and the and the veil that was rent because that was such. You know, I'm going to end up Bible study. Such, you know, you tend to read over things like that. You know, they think, oh, the veil is rent. You can 
You're still going to the signs. Uh, the Old Testament is all the rituals, all the signs, the fulfillments, those things. They're all shadows and prefigurements of what's to come in Christ. For example, Jesus is the true temple, right? It says that in Hebrews. Jesus is the true Sabbath. Jesus is the true sacrifice. Jesus is the true priest. He's the true king. He's the true, you know, all those things in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfills those things. And so the reality is it's like... Um, he didn't. He said, "I don't come to do away with the law. I come to fulfill the law." Exactly. But that law that he fulfilled is made obsolete. The writer of Hebrews says it's made obsolete uh, because it's been fulfilled. It's like there's one insect, caterpillar. Okay, it's not two insects. It's one insect. But when that insect cocoons itself and emerges at a butterfly as a butterfly, the caterpillar is gone forever. See what I mean? He he hadn't. He hadn't, uh, the, the butterfly isn't replacing the caterpillar. The butterfly is the caterpillar. Does that make sense? It's, like it's fulfilled. Debt. When we have debt and we pay it and it's paid in full, we don't continue to pay that debt to the bank. Right. Give them free money. That's right. I mean, if you do want to do that, I am open and lending. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be happy to do that. Just make sure you give the money to me, not Yeah. <laughs> but what we got to see is the people that Paul's arguing against here, they looked like. I mean, they, they weren't evil walking in with a big black hat going, oh, we're fixing to get this church. They looked like the people in the church. They sounded like them. They claimed to be Christians. They, they, if they were here, they would look just like us. They would sound like us. They'd use our language. The only thing they would do would be to add something to the gospel of Christ. And when, and when you do that, you totally destroy the gospel of Christ. Yes? Why? Like, what was their motives? Why would they want the freedom? Why they well, he's going to say in this letter that they came, the false brethren have snuck in. This is chapter 2. He says, false brethren have snuck in to spy out your freedom and to bring you back into bondage. Uh, as to why they would want you in bondage. Was there like a financial, I mean, or power motive or? Well, there's always a power motive. People want followers. They want students. They want people. Well, that's all they knew, to... too. I mean, they, they grew up knowing that. I mean, from birth up, that's all they knew, yeah. too. So but, I mean, think about it. People, the gospel, the free gospel with no strings attached, Jesus only, that's good news. And it's really, for us, that's good news. But you got to think of yourself as like a, a religious Person, I guess they are religious too, but you know, if you're a person who is a religious person who's been steeped in the law of God, you don't want to think of yourself as utterly sinful and with no good in you. You don't want to think of yourself as helpless before God to earn any merit. You don't want to think of yourself as so sinful that you have nothing, even a good work to offer God. You don't want to think of yourself that way. 
So, in order, in order for Paul's gospel to uh, grab hold in your life, you've got to accept the fact that you're not good but by so any stretch. viewing this as if, you know, these people, they knew the true gospel, but they rejected it. So, therefore, there is no salvation for them. They're not doing anything different that they know of than everything they've already done. It's just like us, outside of Christ, we're going to go right straight back to our old ways without hesitation because it's it's what's comfortable. It's what's acceptable to us because that is our nature. You know, one of the most profound things that I heard and Jason preached it, it's not that we sin, we are sin. And they go right back into that sinful nature where the law and the rituals were comfortable because like Danny said, it is all they knew. Right. Sounds good to me. Especially especially the part about how profound I am. Oh. I like that. <laughs> I think it's called pride. I think it said confess your own faults. <laughs> it's like confess somebody else's fault. <laughs> but aren't y'all one in the Anyway, so anyway, we got to let's wind it up. It's yeah, it's five after in verse eight and nine. We've already talked about this a little. He basically rolls a hand grenade into the front door of the church in Galatia. He says, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you that any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now, think about what he's saying. He's saying that the gospel is God's truth. You don't have the right to change it. He even says, I don't have the right to change it. He said, look, if we, talking about the apostles, he's telling this church in Galatia, he's saying, if, if I show up tomorrow, Paul the apostle, if I show up tomorrow and I preach a different gospel than the one by which you have you know, been saved, by the one which you have been preached, by the, the one which I have preached unto you, he said, then I'm going to be accursed. He said, if you wake up tomorrow and the heavens open up and some divine angel being falls out of heaven in some glorious beam of light and shows up in, on the stage in front of your church and tells you that the gospel that you've received is not true. He said, let that angel be accursed. So he's so sure of the gospel. He's so sure of what Christ has done and that no works can be added. He said, even, look, even if an angelic being appears before you and tells you a different gospel, let that angelic being be accursed. He's, it's, when he says, let, let him be accursed, that's a command. Uh, he must be accursed. He is accursed. And that's the curse of God. The word is anathema, in case you would care to know. But let him be accursed. He's saying, look, the gospel is the truth. And no person can walk into your church and change it. No person can walk up to you and change it in your life. Jesus Christ is the full and complete gospel. His death, burial, resurrection, and salvation comes perfectly and completely through him with no work of law added, no act of righteousness added. And nothing can be done to supplement it. And if you try to add anything else, you're going to destroy the whole thing. He says, if anybody, if I, 
or any man or even a divine angel comes and preaches a different gospel than that, let him be accursed. Now, can you imagine what's going on? They're reading the letter out loud in one of the churches in Galatia. And this guy next to me here, he's been one of the ones telling me that I need to add circumcision to Paul's gospel. And here's Paul, the apostle, the letter being read. And he says, if any man preaches anything different than the one I preach, let him be accursed. I look over and like, man, you accursed. you the one that said, you do, can you imagine what kind of, what kind of uh, upheaval would have happened in the church? Because they were sitting right there. These people, the people that he's addressing were in the congregation. They were there, you know, and so can you imagine what kind of what he knew? He had to have known that his letter to them, as uh, passionate as it was, as fervorous as it was, was going to just cause havoc in this church. But for him, it was worth it. It was worth it because the gospel is the only place that we can stand flat-footed and be assured of our salvation. It's the only place that we can stand and be sure that we're right with God. Um, the last thing we'll see, and then we can talk about it some more before we leave, is verse verse 10. He said, I mean, he's just, in 8 and 9, he's basically said, anybody who says anything different than what I said, they, they're cursed. And now he's going to ask him in 10, he said, you still think I'm a man pleaser? In verse 10 he says, for do now I persuade men. <laughs> he said, for now do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. He's just anathematized, which means excommunicated, or it literally means placed under the ban. He's literally excommunicated all the people that have preached a different gospel than him. And so he says, you know, it's really a dumb thing. Thing to say that I'm trying to please men because I pretty much just ticked all y'all off pretty pretty well. And so he says, if I try to please men, then I wouldn't be the servant of Jesus Christ. And so the whole, this is, these first 10 verses show us a snapshot of what the rest of the book is going to say. And so for the rest of this chapter and the rest of chapter 2, which I'm probably going to try to do together uh, next week is the rest of this chapter and chapter 2 because... It is, yeah, but it's all one argument. The whole rest of this chapter and the is Paul giving the historical account of how he became an apostle and how he got his gospel. He's basically um, it, what they're doing is they're attacking his gospel, therefore attacking his apostleship. So he's going to defend himself and say, "I didn't receive this from Peter or John. I didn't receive this from any other man. I received it from Jesus." And he's going to go through the story of how he became a Christian, how he received his gospel and how the Lord prepared him to become an apostle. And so um, if you take these first 10 verses, you just get a, a real picture of everything that he's going to say. And he's going to flesh it out more. He's going to show us that, you know, circumcision is not going to add anything. But the main application for you, I know none of y'all are saying circumcision adds anything, but the main application we have to take away from this is there are still parts of me, still parts of you that want to add works, some kind of work, any kind of work to the gospel that you live by. You know, uh, it's not so much I want to add work to you, but sometimes, you know, you start the voice in your head or the voice of the world tells you, you know, you're not good enough and you know, you know, and you want to add some kind of work to what Jesus has done. The reality is Paul saying that you have been made perfect in Christ and there's nothing else that you can add. And if you attempt to add, 
you are destroying the gospel in and of itself. And so it's really a harsh letter. It's really a harsh, harsh statement. But if you think about it, it's really good news because anything that we try to add is going to mar the gospel anyway. So what he's basically going to show them is that what we have to do is we have to rest in Christ and we have to trust in Christ and Him alone and we have to release all the thoughts of adding this or adding that or trying to work through this or work through that. What we do is we, we surrender ourselves to Christ and we let Him change us. Now that doesn't mean we're going to just live in sin. Galatians chapter 5 is going to go through a huge list of fruits of the Spirit and works of the flesh. The things that we don't do, the things that we do. Uh, so it, but it's all, it, it's all produced by the gospel in us, not in order to attain the salvation of the gospel. Does that make sense? Any questions? No? What time? It's time to go. Okay, no questions, comments, cries of outrage? No? All right. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the, your letter to the Galatians, God, that just uh, 